So we're restating it because it's good for all of us to remind ourselves what we're about. Of course, the book of Nehemiah that we're looking at at the moment captures something of what it means to know what the vision is, what we're about, and how we participate in that and a part of it. And we feel that this year, for a number of different reasons, is a year of opportunities many of which are uh, tied up with our church vision. But we also hope that there is nothing new this morning, apart from a renewed sense of excitement and expectation that our awesome God is going to do something new with us. It's a reminder about who we are. Phil was speaking about that last week as well. Who we are, what we do, and why we do it. As I've already said, we are not who we once were but we are what we have always been. God's church in this place is gather people in this place with the same priorities, the same purpose, and the same power source from God, his Holy Spirit. So before we we look at in a little bit more detail at what was commonly termed the three M's, we want to get a couple of foundational things outright at the very beginning. It is all about being disciples, being followers of Jesus. That is our Uh, modus operandi, that is what should be in our DNA as a church, as individuals. It's about being disciples of Jesus. It's all about God and our relationship with him that he initiated in the first place. It's um, what we want to be about. We want to be about being disciples. And it's not about us individually um, or corporately in our likes and dislikes. We're not, and I repeat, we are not into empire building. We are into kingdom building. That's what our mission is. We want to live the Jesus lifestyle, all of us, to be imitators, copiers, apprentices of Jesus, the King of Kings, to be passionate about maintaining a good relationship with God through his Son, Jesus Christ, and in the power of his Holy Spirit. It is about discipleship, first and foremost. I'm sure you'll all know Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 onwards off by heart. Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and go and make disciples of all nations. Because as followers of Jesus, we are not just called to be disciples, but to be disciple makers. To be disciple makers. And that's foundational to what we're about. Not just to convert people, to kind of tick a box and say how many people have got saved, but to make disciples, to help people to come to know Jesus, to follow him, to be like him. And that's a continual thing. Sometimes we put it in a little box mark, new Christians. But actually it's not that, or it is that, but it's much more than that. It's about being discipled and being disciple makers for the whole of our lives, encouraging one another to know God more, to read the Bible, to pray, to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, to keep on helping each other in that process of disciple making. These are the kind of foundations that we have built our vision on. So we're going to look at the three vision statements that are critical to healthy discipleship. So the first one of those is meet God. Well, what do we mean by that? A little phrase that we have come up with is this, imperfect people worshipping a perfect God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Please put your hand up if you're an imperfect person. Okay, so that includes all of us, doesn't it? Imperfect people worshipping a perfect God. We are all sinners saved by God's grace, saved from sin to a new life with Jesus. And we need that personal encounter 
with God, but we need an ongoing personal encounter with God, not just a one-off, but keeping on encountering him. We do it as we read scripture and God speaks to us. We do it through prayer individually or together. We do it through our fellowship, through our worship, through our Sunday services, through taking our faith seriously. We are in a position to encounter God wherever we find ourselves, whenever that happens to be. But we need to be those who are regularly encountering God both on our own and together. So our first point is to meet God and the second one we can rhyme off is to meet friends and what we mean by that or our kind of catchphrase alongside that is authentic people in authentic relationships authentic people in authentic relationships I've got a picture in my office and it was done by um, Lara Bundock many years ago and it's up there because it's a picture that she drew of an unfinished sculpture and, she, and on it, it says, we are works in progress. Every single one of us are works in progress. We're not the complete article. And we are called to be within a, a relationship. None of us are perfect. No, not even Mick. <laughs> it's come as a shock. <laughs> what it says, authentic people and authentic relationships is about being real. It's about honesty in relationships, about openness. It's about forgiveness because that's not pretend that we're not going to wind each other up now and again. That's what forgiveness is all about. It's part of the gospel. It's about responsibility. It's about risk. It is not about just being pals, buddies, chums. It is more than that. We are part of God's family, so we're more than just friends. When we read friends in this context, it means brothers, sisters in the Lord. It's a bit cheesy, but it's true. But more than that, we are also mothers and fathers in the Lord for each other as well. We are part of this thing called God's family. We are accountable and supportive to one another. It goes beyond mere friendship. It's something more about growing as disciples. And how we do this is through fellowship, through getting together, having coffee after church, small groups, prayer partners, accountability partners, meeting for drinks, going out, playing sport together, walking groups, being involved in a ministry like Messy Hands, getting to know people, sharing real life together. That is where discipleship can happen. Meet God, meet friends, make a difference. What do we mean by that? Well, it's restoring people restoring people. Restoring people, restoring people. Some of you have read Henry Now on the wounded healer. It's that idea, isn't it? Not that we are perfect, but that out of our brokenness, we have stuff to give from God to help other people. It's kind of the opposite of the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Restoring people, restoring people. One beggar telling another beggar where to find food. It's simply making a difference where we find ourselves. We used to have a phrase, from the end of the pew to the ends of the earth, and then we took the pews away. But you get the idea. From where we are to wherever God may send us or however he may equip us to help other people who are sent to make a difference, believing that the fundamental need of people is the restoration in their relationship with God as their loving father. But that we have a God-given responsibility to be salt and to be light in our community, in our world, where we find ourselves most of the rest of the week, in this nation, to bring heaven to earth, to see the kingdom of God extended. And we do that through Alpha, 
through invitations that we give, through our witness, through job club, food bank, lunch club, prospects, pastoral care, life prayer, our hospitality, our mission support, Open Doors, Reach Beyond BMS, and the Snowdrop Project. And we just do it because we are the carriers of Christ where we find ourselves and we make a difference like that. So I don't know how good you are in your old maths. Any maths teachers in the house? Andy. (laughs) Venn diagrams, do you remember those things? Oh, there's a lot of scared looks. I'm I'm arousing some painful memories here. This is our Venn diagram. It's about things that overlap, okay? The place that overlaps all three things at the confluence of meet God, meet friends, and make a difference is this. This confluence is where discipleship happens. Between meet God, meet friends, and make a difference. This is where discipleship happens. It doesn't happen in two of them. So the meet God and the meet friends, well, if you're that, then you're just a clique. You're a holy huddle, not involved with the world around you. The church has been accused of that too often. It's not even meet friends and make a difference. Then you're a social club or a social action club or a campaigning group. Noble as it is, it's not where discipleship happens. It's not even meet God and make a difference. Then you are a radical, a maverick. You're on your own. You are not being challenged and equipped and building other people up. You're just a lone ranger. In the center, at the confluence of meet God, meet friends, and making a difference. That is where discipleship happens. You know the phrase, there is nothing new under the sun. Well, we came up with this vision statement and felt super excited about it. But you know, through the strands of Christian faith and tradition, these same things have come to the fore on so many different occasions. When I was at a stage of wondering whether it was right to stay here, before you had a chance to tell me whether it was right for me to stay here, uh, the three things that were in my heart were spirituality, community, a mission. And I thought, oh, that's our vision statement, those three things. When I took over this role a few years ago, we were looking very much at the monastic tradition around cave, the place where we encounter God on our own, refectory, the place where we build relationships and get to know God and become more like Jesus together, and the road where we go out and make a difference. We're thinking quite a bit about prayer at the moment, and the three key things for the 24-7 prayer movement are passionate, radical, and missionary. Passionate about God, radical in our relationships, and zealous in our mission, mission to the outside world. Even back in the days of the Moravians who brought revival to much of the known world, their three key things were this, true to Christ, kind to each other, gospel to the nations. And very simply, the triangle in some churches is summed up like this. Up, our relationship with God. In, our relationship with one another. And out, our relationship to the world. I find that really exciting. These are the three key things. And in the midst of those things, our discipleship occurs. Our being transformed on our own and with one another. This is where our discipleship happens. Let's take a little break there as we, we sing together. Um, a triumphant song where it says, Christ alone is our cornerstone. Christ alone. That is fundamental to us. That's why we have a relationship with God in the first place. It's because Jesus makes it possible. So can I invite you to stand, please? We... uh there's a, there's a passage in Scripture that means a great deal to us, and it's in, in John, 
where Jesus meets the woman at the well. And we know it really, really very well indeed. And uh, there's a point where Jesus says to her, the true worshipers, who the Father seeks, the true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. We are passionate about the Word of God and the integrity and teaching of the Word of God. We think it's really important, but we also believe in the reality and the actions of the Holy Spirit, that He's alive and well and wants to move among us. And so, over the years, we've been um, blessed by the Lord with a number of words and pictures that have been shared with us. And, and we've been praying for the Lord to be like a holy filter, to filter through the things that have been really, He wants to bed down in our hearts. And so, we thought it was important to share a few of those words that have been given to us as a church, not just the building, but the people, whether you've been here 20 years or 20 minutes, this is the words that we believe God has shared with us that we carry with us. And one of the first ones, we've seen some of these fulfilled, some of these partially fulfilled, and some not yet. And one of the ones um, that we want to share is that God has promised a solid move of his spirit. We're not talking about flying from the chandeliers or barking like dogs or all the other rubbish stuff that you've read that makes it kind of a bad thing to wish for. God has promised a solid move of his spirit where he will move and do great things. One of the impacting pictures that we had was um, of a well and uh, a dried up well that had been dried up for many years. And when the well was full of clean water, all the debris and dead spiders and everything uh, came up to the top. And again, God has really spoken to us and to people through that, that when God's spirit comes new into your life and fills you and fills the church, actually sometimes what happens is that it gets more messy because all the dead stuff comes to the surface and you have to deal with that. But it's really encouraging to know that that's from God, that he's still doing a good thing, even though sometimes, superficially, it feels more difficult than when it wasn't there. So that's really helped us moving forward, and I think helped a number of individuals. A word that has been shared about us is that we are to be a resourcing church, uh, not to hold on to things um, for our own sake, but that we've been amazingly blessed with people's gifts and talents and not to hold on to those. And so over the years, we've seen a number of people be released into ministry, both outside the church um, in, in kind of formal recognized ministry or also just ministries within this congregation as well. Sometimes it's a surprise to them, not expecting to go down that avenue. But we've been called to be a resourcing church to the churches and Christians around this area too. A number of years ago, Roger Sutton, who was a good friend, is a good friend to this church, shared a picture about a champagne bottle, a bit like at the end of an F1 um, race, being shaken and uh, at the right point, the cork would explode out the bottle and all the champagne would go everywhere. By the way, that was a good thing. Uh, as God took what he'd put into us as individuals and as church and spread that much wider than we ever could have imagined. A number of people over the years have shared this. And at one particular time, two different people shared pretty much the same vision, which was that we as a building, but it's more than a building, are to be a light to this dark world. I know it seems kind of cliched a little bit, but they had a specific vision of, of this building glowing in dark streets and that we shine a light that illuminates those around us. One of our passions and a word that's come back to us many times is around human flourishing. That actually what we want is what God wants for people is for them to flourish and that looks different in each individual. It looks different in each family that people should flourish. They should be the best version of themselves that God made them to be. And that's come back to us time and again. 
we're going to be looking in a little bit more detail about the, um, the building next door. Um, but one really powerful picture and phrase that was shared to us is that this house will be a house with outturned doors. Um, and Martin will talk a bit about that in a bit. But it's the fact that the doors need to be open and wide open to welcome and to receive. And they're outturned. They're not inward looking. They're outward facing doors. And that another word that's been spoken over us is around the fact that Aslan is on the move, for those of you who like C.S. Lewis, that the winter is gone and spring has come. And we still start seeing that from those earliest days when that word was spoken over us, that God is on the move, that the winter is gone, that the spring has come, that things are changing, that God is breathing new life and new shoots are growing up wherever we are. A couple of scriptures that have been, we've had loads of scriptures, but two in particular that we're going to share. First one is from Luke, uh, Luke 4, and it's Jesus when he first goes to the to synagogue just after his baptism and his temptations in, in the wilderness. It says, he stood up to read in the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, this is Luke chapter 4, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. And how about this? To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled it up, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and everyone's eyes were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled. Another passage which has kept coming back to us. Every time I think we felt a bit discouraged or a bit like, what are we doing this for? This same passage has come back to us. It's from Isaiah 58. Um, We've even written it on the walls in the house in all the debris and chaos uh, as a kind of statement that these words are ones that God will fulfill. And I'm going to read it to you from the message version. It says, if you get rid of unfair practices, stop blaming victims, stop gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourself to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will always show you where to go. I'll give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry, and perhaps particularly this bit. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew. Rebuild the foundations from out of your past. You'll be known as those who can fix anything. Restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate Make the community livable again. What a wonderful vision for us to be working with from God's word. And we're starting to see that. CAP, Job Club, Food Bank, Alpha, Hospitality, just the beginnings, glimpses of what can be in fulfillment to that word from the Lord. It's me again. (laughs) So the house. We want to tell you a little bit about the story so far. Some of you have walked every inch of this journey with us. Some of you haven't. You've just joined now. So let us tell you a little bit of the story. Often, it seems, God leads you to surprising, sometimes uncomfortable things. I guess none of you have ever found that. Uh, For Phil and I, when we began this season of leading the church... We think of ourselves primarily as Bible teachers. That's what we love. That's what we're passionate about. All things to do with that. 
we are not people who are in any way interested in buildings, building projects, DIY. I mean, Phil's got a particular gift in that area, we know. <laughs> we didn't even feel that we were particularly excited about social action things. We wanted to do the Bible and stuff around that. God calls us to surprising things. So for years, for quite a few years, we've known that um, the church capacity, especially at this service, is getting to an, an exceeding its, its physical capacity. And with increasingly being involved with outside agencies, um, room lettings, church events and ministries, and the rest of the church building suite has been overstretched as well. So something has needed to be done to address this, this good problem of being stretched. So we had lots of ideas, lots of dreams about refurbishment and expansion. We thought about the option of reciting the church. Two things. First of all, there was nowhere in Skipton that was a feasible alternative. You know what it's like here. There just was nowhere. The second one, which is actually a bit more profound, is one deacon's meeting. We uh, got outside the building. We went and walked around the town. We walked around the whole area around our church. And we prayed. We prayed and we listened to God, and when we came back together, there was an almost palpable sense that God was calling us to stay here on this site. Everyone was on the same page, and we were a bit surprised by that, not because there was loads of divisions, but because there was loads of opportunity and options, but everyone had a sense that this was the right place to stay. So we invited uh, some Christian architects who we were knew and re were recommended to give us some options on the site, and their pretty pictures were wonderful. They had a pretty wonderful price tag as well. <laughs> Several million. So if there's any, you know, stuck down the side of a chair, if you've got any, that'll be great. And the, the thing is, wonderful as these pictures and dreams were, they didn't actually answer some of the fundamental issues and areas of ministry that we needed to address, pretty as they were. So, and all the while that we were looking through this, there was a building next door that lay vacant. It had been vacant for nearly four years, the old Medax building. Now, if you know Skipton at all, you know that any building lying vacant for any length of time is an odd thing. Four years has stayed empty. And so one team meeting, I remember very well, we were sat around, um, in a, in a, around the table just in the, the crash room. And we just said, why don't we just ask, push a door and see what happens. And so we took a bit of a faith step to see what the next thing would be. So we developed a three-phase uh, plan. The first one was purchase the building next door. These phases sound very short. <laughs> Somewhat more emotional content than the phrase, right? Phase one, purchase the building next door. Phase two, redevelop the building next door. Phase three, reconfigure the present church site for expansion. Now, in an ideal world, phases two and three would be concurrent. And in fact, we do still hope that there will be some overlap. And our intention is to try to do some refurbishment work in the church as we move forward over the next year or so. I don't know if you are, if I'm allowed to say this, but it's between you and me, okay? <laughs> I'm quite proud of this church. I don't know if I'm meant to say that. I'm quite proud of this church because we wrestled with this decision for a long time. And we discerned this decision together. And you know what? We disagreed. And we sometimes passionately disagreed. 
And you know what? That was okay. That was part of the discernment and keeping the process honest. So we wrestled and we discerned and we stayed together as family. We disagreed well, which I think is a better sign of unity than everyone nodding their heads. We discerned, we debated, we disagreed, and then on April 2015, we decided in the probably the biggest attended church meeting I've ever seen. We had to get extra chairs out. It was that bad. We voted and we decided as a church that we were going to go to the next stage, which is to purchase the building. And in September 2015, we bought the building next door. And we didn't just leave it at that. We went through lots of different options of what it might be called, some more humorous than others. Um, the, the holy huddle of God was one of them. We decided we would call it the house, because I had something about family about it. And we have all sorts of dreams and visions for that space and for this space too. But they might be summed up just simply this morning and saying, our vision is for it to be a place of hope. Our vision is for it to be a place of welcome for anyone and everyone. A place of restoration. A place of safety a place of prayer, and a place of expansion. And those are just some of the big headlines for all the small, exciting vision and ideas that we have that we'll talk more about probably over these next weeks ahead. What we've discovered over these last few years is that in numerous situations, God has provided. Almost to the point that I don't worry about it anymore. <laughs> He's provided so often in so many different ways. He's particularly provided the right people at the right time. We had Peter here who took us through the planning process right at the beginning and was just such an asset to us in helping us to make sense of things. For Bernard, with his financial experience and acumen, his understanding of the Baptist Union processes and experience of two church building projects previously. God really doesn't like him very much. <laughs> but we really love him. <laughs> for Andy Laycock with his 3D designs. For Mike with what he brings to the team in refurbishment experience. For Malcolm Nixon as quantity surveyor. For Ella in fundraising. And I'll have missed people out, but we're so grateful for just the right people at the right time. Because as we've previously said, Phil and I are rubbish at this kind of stuff. And just as it was all coming to a standstill and requiring more time and input than people could give, along came an unsuspecting new person to Skipton Baptist Church, along with his family. Someone for whom building projects, plans, nuts, bolts, screws, steel girders, pipes, electronic drawings and dealing with contractors was bread and butter to him, alongside a degree in robotics. Martin Lee did warn him as soon as he walked in the building that, frankly, he should leave. But God had provided him for such a time as this. And I'm going to hand over to Martin now. Thanks, Lisa. Cheers, Phil. That's me. <laughs> Isn't it great that we serve a God who provides people when we need them? When we get to the end of our own resources, he always provides. He's always there to deliver that next step. I think that's just absolutely fantastic. It is indeed true that uh, on my first Sunday here, January 2016, at some point, we rocked up and uh, 
we were saying hello to everybody and asked people, of course, ask you, what do you do? Well, I work in construction. Oh, <laughs> bless Elise's face, lit up at the side. Right, although to be fair, she did say, run away, run away now, um, which on your first Sunday in a new church is a slightly disconcerting to say the least. But what did I arrive to? Well, when I joined the building group, um, I arrived to a set of plans. It was great. The, a lot of the hard work had actually already been done. And these plans have been drawn up by um, BCR over in Manchester, along with the guys here on the building group. And the good plans, strategically sound, well thought through. We had an idea of what the cost would be for delivering this, roughly. So it was great. I arrived, and Peter brilliantly took us through to planning. And after that, I kind of started to take over the reins a bit from Peter. So what happened then? Well, nothing really. I've just sat around for quite a long time. No, every building process, every building project has a process to go through and little life cycle stages. Everyone has. It's been the same for every building job I've been involved in from £10,000 to the last one I was on, which was a third of a billion, um, which is a bit bigger than this budget, so don't worry. Um, they all have to go through exactly the same processes. You've got to decide you're doing it and what your strategy is. Prepare a brief, what do we want to achieve? Do the conceptual bit, which is the arty bit, where we move things around and do lots of sketches and flourish. Um, then we take it and turn it into drawings and real proper things that I can understand. And we get planning permission to do the project. Come along, there we go. Then we get do some techie bits with the engineers. Then we do the fun bit, where we knock things down and build it. It's the bit I like. Then we hand it over, then it's ours, hurrah. Um, those are generally the stages, that's pretty much, in a nutshell, what happens on every project. And you'll be really, really, really glad to know, we've actually done some of these. So we've ticked off the strategy bit, that was before I got, even got here, and the brief, and the concept, and December last year, we gained planning permission, and finally, we ticked off stage three. So, hooray. Nine months on, what's happened? Well, the last nine months have been quite busy. We've appointed a new set of architects, so we're now working with Bowman Riley, just the other side of the road, which is great, because they can just pop in and out as they need to. They've been fab, they've done a really good job for us. We've appointed structural engineers, quantity surveyors, and between us all and the team, we've come up with a whole set of the technical drawings, the engineering bit, how we transform what is basically a hollow shell full of rubble in there into something with a bit of purpose to it. So I thought I'd try and give you a bit of a flavor of what that involves. So, take a door. Fairly simple door, don't do much to a door to be honest. How's the door fixed to the wall? What type of door is it? Where do the handles go? Is it handles or is it push plates? Does it have a window in it? Does the window have a privacy screen in it? Does the door need to open automatically in the event of a fire alarm? What's the access control through that door? Does that door need to be locked? Take it times 51 doors in the building next door. Then add in the windows, all the structural details, the lighting, the heating, the hot and cold water, the power circuits, the drainage, the fire systems, the access control systems, the outside, you get the picture of what it's been like for the past nine months. There's a massive amount of stuff to go through and it takes quite a long time, which is why I've been quite quiet for nine months because we've been beavering away behind the scenes 
working out how, like a big Lego puzzle, we're going to make it all fit together. But, oh, there we go, bit of detail. There's the Hoover Dam. We're not building anything that big, nor is there going to be a dam involved. However, we hope, I know it rains a lot, but <laughs> um, the Hoover Dam took five years to build, which isn't too bad, but it took over nine years to plan. The longer we spend planning now, the less trouble we run into when we actually get builders involved. We know what we're coming to. Fewer surprises, and I don't like surprises. <laughs> so, you'll remember that on that board there, for what seemed like forever, was a set of plans pinned up, and not much seemed to happen. That was where we were. Well, we now have a whole, exactly the same set of plans, pretty much. It's had a few changes, a few tweaks here and there, but actually, on the whole, things are pretty much the same. But what have we got? Well, we've still got the community lounge in the meeting room. A place for coffee, a chat, before school breakfast club, alpha courses, cap job clubs, women's breakfast, men's breakfast, meat, <laughs> relayed services on a Sunday morning. It's a brilliant space. Youth events, all sorts of stuff can happen in there. It's fab. Still there. We've still got the kids' rooms, especially, you know, purpose-built for kids, safe for them. Frees up so much room with an eye to our next phase in the building. Gives us that space that we haven't got at the moment. We've got food bank, bigger room than we've got already, more room for storing food. And what's really nice is we've got the community lounge. At the moment when clients come to food bank, they have to trot around to the back door, stand in a corridor, Actually, now we can take them to a lounge where you feel much more valued, so much more welcome being there. For staff members upstairs, well, they're just rooms, to be honest, because we don't really like them that much. And they did ask for a gin bar and a hot tub, <laughs> but I, uh, I, de I declined those requests. Um, so, so did Bernard, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, for the offices upstairs, it's pretty much no added luxuries, but it's great because every staff member this time will have a desk, somewhere to sit. Poor Matt will no longer, and Ruth, will no longer have to be nomadic around the building looking for somewhere to work. And also a specific place for counselling and prayer, which is really important for people coming in. So, everything we had, we've still got. And I'm not going to take you through every single change as to why that wall's moved four inches and why that window is slightly different to what it was before because we'll need sleeping bags and a good lunch. Um, but what I will do is I'll just quickly whip you through some of the highlights of what's happened. So we talked about having opening doors. Well, originally those doors there opened inwards, opened the wrong way. They now open outwards, which is how we should be as a church, giving a bit more room for circulation and space. We've altered the lift so we can get uh, disabled people upstairs a lot better and gives us a bit more room for storage. Some of the things we don't want in the community lounge, we can move into there. What else have we got? Oh, here we go. I've got to pronounce this again. We've got a pustinia. Is that right? Yay! Who knows what a pustinia is? Oh, about five people now. Excellent. <laughs> We're getting there. It took me a week to learn to spell it. Um, I'll give you the dictionary definition. A pustinia is a small, sparsely furnished room where one goes to pray and fast in the presence of God. What a lovely space to be in. Isn't that great? Well, we've now got one. <laughs> and it's just where that red dot is. 
It's fab. It's a real, can be a really nice little room accessible to absolutely everybody from the community lounge. So we'll be able to go in there for 24-7 prayer and things like that. It's going to be great. What else? We've improved access for push chairs and disabled across the building. We've left some walls in. Now, that might not originally seem to be a great advantage, but actually it is. We discovered we had a slight structural problem with the building. Nothing to worry about. But leaving those, <laughs> leaving those walls in has actually managed to save us a huge amount of money in the tens of thousands we're talking. But also, when we went over there and we had to look, how would it feel if we left these walls in? We realized that it created a real homely, inviting space. What was otherwise going to be quite a large space, just leaving a couple of bits, pillars of brick in, suddenly made it feel much more, I don't know, nice, snuggly. What's that Norwegian word? I forgot what it is. Hugging or something. Hugger, that's the one. Yeah, much better. And what else have we done? We've improved the disabled access to upstairs. Um, it might not seem much, but in the future, that would allow for the addition of a disabled person onto the team. So actually, it's quite a big thing, just moving a few bits around upstairs. So, to give you an idea what it actually looked like now, we've done the wonders of technology. Andy's worked marvels, and we've turned it into a 3D model. Visual... Um, virtual reality. We did try to virtual reality the team in as well. It was a bit like the cast of Shrek. <laughs> I'm not saying who was who. <laughs> so, here we go. Andy's little model of how the ground floor looks. Oh, quick spin round so we can see the cafe area down there. The meeting room off the back of that. Oh, yep, and then the food bank room over there, and the kids' room at the back, just to give you an idea when we're walking through later. Jump to the next floor if you can, Andy. So the office space is upstairs, just as they always were, with no gin bar. And um, that's the hot tub here. <laughs> Otherwise known as the, uh, the air handling unit. <laughs> Next floor, Andy, can. Were we doing that one? Yep. Whoops. And that's a very little roof space <laughs> um, with just loads and loads of storage and um, uh, two more offices up there for us. There we go. Cool. Should we go for the, should we go for the posh bit? Way. Look at that. So as you can see, we're in lovely greeny, green with the Colorado mountains behind us. Um, <laughs> And I will apologize now that we're about to fly through some walls. It is intentional. Um, the walls will stay there, but uh, we, we get the computer to do its stuff. So standing on Otley Street, there's your view. We've got a little canopy. Um, and we might, should we walk to the entrance, Andy? Oh, there we go, our first wall. And so standing at our doors, let's head on in. Come on. Oh, past the, past the, past the toilets. And into the community cafe. <laughs> Note the bamboo in the corner, that's obligatory. Um, round to the kitchen area and the door to the pustinia there, just on the left, thank you. Um, nice red coffee machine for those with a caffeine addiction. Then on into the meeting room. Now I know it's got chairs and desks in and it won't have, it's just to give us an idea of size um, rather than actuality. Ooh. 
There you go. Quick zoom out. Next one, Andy. So this is the food bank room. Um, nice big room. Next one. Down the corridor and into the, the other side of that door, which will be bigger, leads us back into the lounge. But this is the children's room. And then into the very end children's room, which leads outside. Onto an amazing play invention, which is probably where we'll have team meetings. <laughs> and then there's the view from the back, looking down. Quick swing round with the church. And there we are. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Can we jump back to the PowerPoint, if that's... Can we jump back to the PowerPoint? Oh, okay. oh there we go. Oh, there we are at night. <laughs> so that's brilliant. So what do we need to do to get to that? To stop it from being a virtual reality house to becoming an actual house. There we go. Where do we need to be? Well, if you remember back to my little diagram before, we're now heading towards the end of stage four, the end of detailed design. The engineers and everybody else has pretty much done their work now, and we're looking forward to moving to the hard hat zone into actually doing some work in there. Um, so to achieve this, we need a few things. We need to apply for our building regulations, just to make sure we are legal and compliant with all the current legislation. We need to clarify some conditions around uh, our planning um, permission. And we need to prepare some specifications and the tender documents to send out to the builders. It's really good, thorough documents so we can get an accurate price back and we know what we're heading for. All of those things, the team of the architects, the engineers, me, the building group here, we're going to do all of that lot. That's what I'm here for. But there's actually some things we need your help with. The firstly is just to pray for us. It's easy to say, and, but the effect of it is absolutely amazing. Um, when we look at Nehemiah and where we're going to go over the next few weeks, we see that whatever, whenever we're doing something, whenever we're working for God, we face opposition. And that happens here all the time, even in this past week or so. Um, members of the team come up against trials, opposition, difficulties. And your prayers will just be so appreciated for our protection, but also for wisdom. There's a lot of work going on here. Um, a huge amount happens, and we have to make decisions, a lot of them. And just the wisdom to make the right decision. The decision that's going to, be, going to enable us to do God's work over, the next, over time in that house. So please, please pray for us. For those things. The second thing is to help us with the funding of this, to turn it from, as Malcolm Nixon said, from concept to concrete. At the moment, I'm awaiting a set of prices back. We've got various consultants and engineers and all sorts of people, and they're going to be delivering me over the next couple of weeks, hopefully in time for the church meeting, a budget set of budget prices. Note the word budget, not the, real, not the actual price not the finished price, 
some budget prices, indications of what this is going to cost us. Now, whilst I haven't got them to give you at the moment, I'm fairly sure that unless Bernard's been printing cash at home, which I don't think he has, um, we're going to be a bit light in the coffers for um, finishing all this work off and doing this work. We need your help with raising some of these funds. There's going to be some more stuff coming out about that, I think. But please just pray for it. Pray for Ella as she puts in these grant applications. She does a magnificent job behind the scenes. You have no idea how many days and weeks of seriously hard graft goes into each grant application. They are monumental. And she has so many of these to do. So please pray that she puts the right words down and that the right ones go forward. But also have a look. What is at work? Are there opportunities for funding from real works? Is your bank writing to you saying, please find a community project, your building society? Have a look in your coat. You know what it's like. You go rooting around your pocket one day, you pull out 10,000 quid you've just left in there. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> <You know? laughs> We've really got to start thinking about how we're going to make this work and fund this. The numbers are going to seem big, but thankfully... We trust in a faithful God who is so much bigger than any of those numbers. And he provides in ways kind of beyond our comprehension. Um, he, the, the, just for, to enable us to do his work. Next door is actually just a building. It's a collection of bricks and mortar. Um, but kingdom building is what, we're what it's really about. And that's what we're heading for. And that's what we want your help with. So there we go. Just hand you back to Lisa. Thanks so much, Martin, and that just is the surface of all the stuff that Martin's been involved in. And Andy, thank you, because actually to be able to visualise things is so powerful and so helpful to those of us who find the kind of black and white line drawings really difficult to imagine. So, And I know it's been a sacrifice for you today, so thank you for doing that. Appreciate that. Martin's right. This is about kingdom building. It's not about a building project. It's about building the kingdom. If we didn't have the vision to go with it, we wouldn't be doing it. And the only frustration is that we have the vision and we'd like to do it today. In fact, like a year ago. But we can't do it that quick. So that, that's the only frustration because this is about the kingdom. It's making our community livable again. It's about providing a place that is God's space in the midst of it all. So I'm going to suggest um, that we pray. Can I ask you to stand with me? There's a verse, another one that's been significant to us in Psalm 127. It says this, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. So let's just take a moment, shall we? Let's let God speak to us in our own hearts about what is our part in this. What is our part in this? Perhaps we've, uh, we've just got a bit tired of praying or we've just stopped. And, then, and our part is to, to kind of stand up again and go, yeah, actually, I can pray. I will do that. Perhaps God is challenging our hearts again about giving. 
We need to listen to him. Perhaps God has a particular role for you in this whole project, the going forward bit, or the when it's done bit. And he's starting to form something in you to call you to something, to shape your vision personally about how this might be part of your journey. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to this. You've called us together to this. You've called us to be brave, to be courageous, to step out in faith, to follow you where we've never been before, to trust you where we can't see all the answers, to find our faith and our experience of you stretched and growing. Lord, we thank you that you are the God who provides. We thank you for the so many times. We thank you for the so many times over our over 155-year history that you have provided the right people, the right premises, the right money, the right gift set and skills. Thank you, God, that you are the God who provides. We lay this before you again with all its scary numbers. We say, Lord, please provide for us what we need, when we need it, and help us to grow in our trust in you. Lord, pull us together again into this vision that you have for us so that your kingdom may be seen, that people within our community would see you, Jesus, would meet with you, would encounter you, that their lives would be transformed and changed. Lord, thank you that you call us to work in partnership with others. Thank you for our church partnerships. We pray that your kingdom would come across the churches in our town. Lord, this is your church. This is your house. And we commit ourselves afresh to you this morning. For your kingdom's sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to worship together for a few moments. And as we do, you might see this small board here. Um, this is our, us saying yes. I mean, some of us have said yes for a lot of years here in this church. But some of us are new. Whether you are a person who said yes for a lot of years or whether you're quite new, we'd like you to say yes this morning if you feel able. Yes to the vision that God has called us to. Yes to working together for God's purposes in this place. This is from the 9.15. So please, we'd like you to write your name. It feels quite big when you write it, but when you look at it, it doesn't look very big. Write your name in big writing. As we sing, come out and say yes again to what God has called us to this morning as we're worshipping. And if you want to, you can take an M&M because it's the M&Ms, isn't it? Meet God, meet friends, make a difference. The health warnings this. The ones that say they contain peanuts might contain peanuts. Don't eat them if you're allergic, all right? So please come and respond to God and respond as we sing and worship together as well. Thank you. Bring 